Welcome to the 429th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm just here with Sophie and Gretchen and Tony tonight, two German shepherds and a cat, so no background noises for the most part, except for dogs barking and cats meowing, but welcome and thanks for listening. I am now in the full throttle mode for the Silver Rush 50-mile trail race in Leadville, Colorado that's going to take place the first week of July, so my training is ramped up. I'm done with my post-recovery Benzos 50-miler, so mileage is starting to increase, tire pull is becoming regular. Um, I actually tried, so this is a course that has 2,200 feet of elevation gain and 2,200, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 22 miles of hills up and 22 miles of hills down. The rest is relatively flat. Um, There's 7,000 feet of elevation gain, so a lot of pretty steep hills. The longest hill is about three miles. The steepest grade for a short period of time is reportedly 24%, but there's a lot around the 15%. So it's a very hilly course at, um, I guess, mountainous course at high elevation, starting at 12,000 feet and going up. So I can't simulate elevation other than um, heat training. So there is some crossover with training in hot heat, which we're going to have plenty of in Florida in the next couple of months. Um, and how your body has to react to um, get rid of heat when it's humid and hot um, is kind of like having decreased oxygen in the elevation. So there's a little crossover there, but I have it flat here, so I have to do something. So pulling a truck tire is um, one of the ways that I'm doing. So I'm hoping that over time I get faster and then putting my treadmill up to 15% and doing um, steady um, climbs. So the goal will be to eventually get three miles straight going up uh, or more. Uh, this week I did uh, a mile um, at a kind of a hike and then I did quarter miles followed by dumbbells down and up my stairs to kind of simulate going down a little bit. I tried to go to the parking garage that's associated with our hospital and besides the near misses from the cars, it just wasn't steep enough uh, or long enough. So our parking garage here in Port Charlotte, four stories is just not enough to get it. So uh, I think we're gonna be left with the treadmill and then a trip up to Georgia to run the mountains up there. Um, so the elevation that we can get up there is gonna be similar. So one trip to Georgia and the rest will be treadmill and tire poles. So, so far so good. Um, in the past, I have interviewed um, Chris McDougall, their new book, uh, his new book with Eric Orton, Born to Run. And I am uh, doing a lot of Eric Orton's drills uh, to get more efficient. Um, so uh, I'm hoping that will pay off as well. But uh, so far, so good. The idea is to get to the starting line healthy. That's the most important thing that I'll be doing. But um, it's come up more than once recently. Uh, people that are pretty good athletes um, that are athletes and are older getting lifestyle diseases or bad diseases, even cancer. And the question is, can you outrun um, or out-exercise a, a bad diet? And 
you know, I think a lot of people think that they're pretty healthy. They can be thin uh, because they are exercising and they're exercising and they feel pretty good until something goes wrong and now they have, you know, a disease. And so if you exercise and you still get something, pretty much uh, it's not a far uh, walk to think, well, it just happened. I, I didn't really have much control. Um, but often people are leaving out the nutritional aspect of things. And again, people think they can get away with a lot more nutritionally because you're burning so much. And in, in essence, it's partly true. Um, I do believe um, you are burning through a lot of metabolic waste and a lot of energy when you're doing, especially endurance activities. But again, um, not all that metabolic waste gets cleared and um, it can become fuel for another fire uh, with adding in some other um, factors and ultimately end up with some, some disease. So what does exercise do anyway to help fight off disease? And, you know, the first thing that happens, you know, we always tell people from a cardiovascular standpoint is if you've had a heart attack and you start exercising, we always send people to cardiac rehab, especially in the past, um, it makes your body more efficient. So your engine may have went from a Ferrari to a old Ford, um, if your heart function is poor because of heart attacks, but if the car really runs well, you've got new tires, um, everything's all greased up and new, then it doesn't take much to move the car and people can get away with poor heart function and as long as the rest of their body uh, moves well. And partly that is because um, the more you exercise, the more muscle that you develop, the less bone and muscle loss that you have mitochondria is preserved, especially when it comes to um, type 1 fibers. So our muscle fibers are um, typically in the past were called slow twitch and fast twitch fibers. There's actually a couple subcategories from that, type 2A, uh, type 2B. Um, but we know that type 1 fibers uh, associated with endurance activities have more mitochondria, um, are actually responsible for um, reversing cardiovascular disease by get ridding, get, getting rid of metabolic waste. Type 1 fibers tend to have more capillaries, so you get more nutrients delivered to them. Type 2 fibers less. Um, so that, and, and the capillary density can also um, increase so that you're getting more blood flow to those arteries. On the other hand, strength training actually is more of an explosive type activity and it selects more for type two fibers, which have less mitochondria, less um, capillaries. And so if that's done in isolation, uh, people can be prone for um, glucose intolerance or metabolic um, abnormalities because they don't have the mitochondria for the size of the muscle that they have. But anyway, before we get back into that a little bit, uh, we know that exercise decreases inflammation, especially in the post-exercise state. So um, inflammation plays a huge role in metabolic disease, cardiovascular disease, as well as, as cancer disease, autoimmune diseases. So exercise really helps to tame the fire of inflammation. Moving efficiently uses less energy, so you become more efficient in moving. 
the blood vessel's ability to dilate or endothelial function actually gets better with endurance uh, training. So you get more blood you get more blood vessels and better um, there's a better ability to dilate those blood vessels with exercise. We also know that as people age and lose muscle mass, that's when the risk of adult onset diabetes goes up as well. So the older we get or the less fit that we get, the less toxins our body can clear, the less oxygen or nutrients that are, are delivered to the, to the muscle. Um, so inflammation increases, and so it all plays a role together. But no matter how fit you are and how much you exercise, you still have an exposure to toxins, so environmental exposure to toxins, especially the ones that you eat, and you have to be able to clear them. And so as we age over time, no matter what we do, it becomes harder to clear the toxins. And depending on what you eat, it really depends on the load of toxins that you're consuming. When you look at animal products, especially cooked meat, um, the process of cooking produces heterocyclic amines that are carcinogens. So people that cook their meat well are at risk for these carcinogens. Of course, people that don't cook their meat well at all are exposed uh, or are potentially at risk for other viruses and bacteria associated with the, the meat itself. Dairy, as most of you know, um, is rich with case, the protein casein, which is, has a lot of metabolic stimulants for cancer cell growth. So if you want to grow cancer cells more rapidly, adding milk casein protein to that is a, a good way to do it. Um, whatever the animal ate during its lifetime, which is typically longer than it takes to grow a plant, um, you get to eat as well, especially if it's a fatty fish or marbled uh, beef uh, or marble, a, a fattened uh, animal so that those toxins it was exposed to, whether it was genetically modified soybeans, genetically modified corn, or environmental toxins such as arsenic, lead, mercury, PCBs, dioxins, those get stored in the animal, so when you eat the animal, you get those. People say, what about grass-fed? Um, we all know that um, the idea, if you're a rancher, is to grow animals large enough so that there's more pounds of meat on them so you make more money. So even if they've been grass-fed for some time, most of the time they're finished on a feedlot, so you don't, know nece you don't necessarily know what you're getting. Um, truly grass-fed, animals still are eating lots of grass um, over their lifespan, so depending on where that is, the toxins that they're exposed to in the dirt are still available. The other thing that happens uh, when you eat animal products is the bacteria, the gut bacteria that you select for it, that you can, um, that, that's used to detoxify and digest dead things. So uh, a putrefaction type of uh, bacteria are needed so that they can handle something that's been dead for weeks when you consume it. That bacteria tends to make inflammatory proteins that have been associated with cardiovascular disease. So no matter where the animal comes from, grass-fed or not, it's still dead when you eat it, and you still have the ability to generate all these inflammatory proteins. 
there was a recent study that came out that's quite interesting. Can particles in dairy and beef cause cancer and multiple sclerosis? And uh, it was a German study that looked at, you know, um, again, dairy and meat and pathogens that are associated with that that potentially can cause multiple sclerosis and cancer 40 to 70 years later. And in children that are exposed to these pathogens, um, one of the particularly harmful thought process or things that happen or it's thought to happen is because children's immune system's not developed, they're much more susceptible to the invasion of these um, extremely um, toxic viral particles, their DNA, the genetics of the viruses um, or the, the, the bacteria or other things like prions that the a weak immune system can't handle, so that DNA is actually uh, becomes part of your DNA, part of your gut microbes DNA, and then the cancer develops or the multiple sclerosis may develop down the road. Um, and, and this is not something new. Um, way back when I first decided to become vegan, I read a book called A Diet for a New America by John Robbins. I uh, still get copies of it. I think he's got, you know, there's been a couple releases since the original one. But they talk about these particles, prions, that are like tiny, tiny viruses that really aren't even heat destroyed. So the problem is some of these down cows, um, you know, that were um, kind of let go through the system, these pathogens became part of the food source. Um when they started looking for these, and of course they cause neurological diseases down the road, um, things like Creutzfeldt-Jacob, but the question is, are dementias associated with some of these particles that we don't test for or can't test for, that people may have been exposed to? And even when you know people became more aware of downer cows and trying to keep them out of the, the human food chain, um, they became part of the food for animals. And, you know, depending on regulations, depending on where animals come from, how much people can get away with, they still could um, be part of the, the food chain, meaning that cows could eat some cows or cow's blood or things that get mixed in that, that again, um, genetic material intermixed uh, that can cause disease down the road. Um, Many of the viruses that we know, papillomaviruses, Epstein-Barr virus, poliovirus, um, and other retroviruses uh, can cause cancer. And the, one of the reasons why they do is they insert the DNA into the human cells. Um, and there's a latency, so it's hard to you know, pinpoint the smoking gun, so to speak. Um, but this is something that's unique to animal products and the consumption of animal products that, uh, again, can be uh, eliminated with the elimination of eating animal products. There's a, a virus that's been named bovine meat and milk factors um, that have been found in the intestine of patients with colon cancer. So, you know, there are many chronic diseases that start to show up by, again, the metabolic waste of eating animal products. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily fixed with eating grass-fed or locally farm-raised meat products. And most of the time, people are fooling themselves with that regard, too. You know, I've, I've had many uh, people over the years that tell me they grass-fed meat, but, 
you know, that doesn't keep them from going to the Outback or going through Arby's or getting some sort of a meat at a fast food place, meat on a pizza, meat, you know. So um, there are very few people that limit their exposure to only grass-fed animals um, of known origin. It's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not very possible unless you have your own farm uh, for starters. So no matter how much you exercise, you're not going to get away from these particular pathogens that, that I talked about. You know, there's a lot of nutrition paradoxes that I think we as physicians or we in the medical community don't take time to think about. And if we did, it would be pretty obvious that nutrition plays a huge role in chronic lifestyle diseases. There's always an ongoing argument, is cholesterol bad, is cholesterol good, uh, is it the cause or is the smoking gun? Uh, we need cholesterol for our brains, yet nobody has ever done a study saying we should give people with dementia more cholesterol to see if we can fix them. Um, there have been a few small studies in children with seizures that cannot be controlled and the transient high-fat diet seemed to help that, um, but most of those studies are cautioned with this has to be as short a process as possible because of the toxicity associated with it. So, you know, in no means, you know, have we cured Alzheimer's or dementia with giving people more meat, um, more fat, more cholesterol. I don't believe that cholesterol is the sole factor in causing deaths, uh, these diseases. Um, we know that People with high cholesterol tend to have more cancer, more cardiovascular disease, but they also have an immune system that is also not necessarily functioning appropriate. Uh, again, the free radicals and acidity that are associated with eating a uh, high-protein animal diet are also play a role, as well as other environmental toxins. So um, cholesterol is certainly part of the equation when it comes to lifestyle diseases. The other paradox is sugar causes cancer. Um, so we shouldn't eat fruit. That's usually uh, people shy away from fruit and there's not too many fruitarians. I know of none. Uh, if you do, please email me with their name, a fruitarian that developed cancer. Um, on the contrary, fruit is associated with fiber. It's in the presence of phytonutrients. It's never been the fruit that's the problem. Uh, we lump all carbohydrates together uh, in these paradoxes. And, you know, so fruit becomes part of the sugar, uh, which it's not. It's not a simple processed sugar. To make sugar requires a lot of processing uh, with a lot of byproducts. Uh, simple sugars stripped of other nutrients that they may have had, again, aren't health foods by any stretch of the imagination, but neither are they usually acting alone. Even if we look at... Um, you know, obesity and sugar, it's, other than sugary soft drinks, which certainly have gone up, it's not that alone at all. It's sugar in the process, in the presence of fat, in the presence of, you know, so if you have a piece of chocolate cake, there's certainly sugar, but there's also fat and cholesterol, you know, cookies, candies, sugar in the process, in the presence of fat. So again, it's not one etiology. Um, and fruit, again, uh, not too many people can say they got sick, uh, a lifestyle disease, because they only ate fruit. Um, when we look at cancer, it, uh, there is a metabolic abnormality, so that cancer does not process glucose efficiently. Um, 
but that doesn't mean that sugar feeds cancer. It means that it goes through a lot of sugar, uh, generates a lot of waste, but if you take the sugar away from cancer, it's very happy to eat cholesterol, it's very happy to eat fat and grow just as well. So um, yes, there's a metabolic abnormality with cancer. No, it's not driven by sugar alone, and certainly it's not driven by fruit. Everyone's favorite is dairy and bone health, so you have to eat dairy. Unfortunately, dairy cows, uh, if you saw the recent fire that claimed the lives of 18,000 cows under metal, a metal roof building, so a giant conglomeration of 18,000 cows burned up, um, they didn't see the light of day. They have to be given, the milk has to be added, synthetic vitamin D has to be added to the milk. So these cows aren't a source, dairy cows are not a source of vitamin D and bone health. Um, there is some calcium, but uh, it's somewhat poorly absorbed in the acidic environment uh, when you drink milk. Countries that consume the most dairy tend to have the most osteoporosis, mainly because of the acidity and the calcium leaching effect from the bone. If dairy was the cure for bone health, there would not be one case of osteoporosis in the United States because most people have dairy numerous times, if not with every meal. Um, that's not the source of, um, that's not the only source of calcium available. Certainly cows and horses don't drink milk after, after they're weaned and they don't have osteoporosis and they live on, you know, the, in the presence of horses live a nice long time without osteoporosis. Um, we know that most adults have osteoporosis before they ever go plant-based, um, and it is a function of decreased activity um, and muscle loss just with, uh, you know, which also can be because of a typically uh, acidic-type meat-based diet. So dairy is not the cure for osteoporosis by any stretch of the imagination. So what plants cause problems? Um, somebody might throw oxalates under the bus, so Swiss chard and spinach uh, tend to be high oxalate beets, high oxalate containing vegetables in the present of, presence of um, calcium being leached from the bone or abnormal metabolite, uh, the ability to metabolize oxalates, kidney stones can form, uh, but that is not the case in the majority of people, and the simple trick for that is to um, eat lower oxalate containing greens, not to eliminate them completely or mix and match. So people that eat just spinach or just beets can get into trouble with oxalate stones under some circumstances, but for the most part, um, you know, they're not, it's not toxic at all. Uh, people talk about nightshades and inflammation. Um, Tom Brady was a big one to bring that up. And if Tom Brady does it, it must be so. Um, most people that have read anything uh, about Tom Brady in the offseason will know that, you know, he may be more strict during his season and people cook for him, but in the offseason, um, he's not that strict. Um, inflammation, you know, again, uh, a study of one professional athlete does not um, make for, uh, you know, uh, elimination of all nightshade-type vegetables. I would look more to the blue zones, people that actually live to be 100, um, and they're eating a tremendous amount of nightshades. Tomato is one of the most common things among people with, um, that live to be 100 in a blue zone. Um, tomatoes are one of the things, so tomatoes, eggplant, um, 
are, are very peppers, uh, again, that are very high in a Mediterranean diet. And most people agree that a Mediterranean diet is one of the more healthy diets compared to a standard American diet. Um, so those people do just fine on nightshades. There's other great chemicals, lutein, um, that decreases the risk of prostate cancer. Um, there's all kinds of other uh, properties in these vegetables that decrease angiogenesis or decrease the blood vessel growth into cancer so that cancers can actually regress. How do we make something go away? How do we make our bodies healthier? It's by taking the toxins out and adding something in that helps our body to heal. Um, I had a discussion today, um, you know, along that line. But, you know, again, plants have antioxidants. They help clear free radical. They help neutralize the blood, make it more alkaline. We know that in the acidic blood, uh, or acidic, acidic body uh, is more inflamed. Uh, the immune system is more turned on and more dysfunctional in, the, in an acidic environment as opposed to an alkaline environment. Drinking alkaline water will not fix that. The conversation I had today is in somebody that has multiple lifestyle diseases, what uh, you know, what was the goal? What's the goal for the future in this particular person? And they weren't sure exactly how much they wanted to change their nutrition, but as an overall general goal, if they could just stay the same, they would have been okay. So yes, they had medications on board. Yes, they had lifestyle diseases, but if things didn't get much worse, they thought that they could be able to handle things. It's like, all right, so what do we have to do to maintain status quo? And that's pretty hard in the living being because we never really get the chance to be stagnant. Uh, we're either kind of getting a little bit better or a little bit worse. And the older we get, um, it becomes harder to fight the getting worse than it is, and even harder to, uh, to, to get better to some degree. Uh, it, you have to be much more aggressive. And so the analogy that I gave was that, you know, I've talked before on this podcast and other lectures, if your cell is kind of like a garage and you move into the house and it's all nice and clean, like the cell of a child, um, and the child starts to eat things that, you know, McDonald's and Skittles and all kinds of unhealthy children's food, fruit, fruit loops, and there's dyes and there's chemicals and preservatives that start being added to their cell or their garage, so to speak. So the cellular garage starts to fill over time. And 25, 30 years go past, 35 years, 40 years go past, and the garage starts to become full, depending on how, how much waste products the garage or the person has to, the cell has to, to metabolize. Um, so again, how active they are, how much they overeat, how many toxins were they exposed to, but nevertheless, over time, the garage starts to get full. So if you were to think about a person that had several lifestyle diseases, if you had to guess what percentage of the cell ha is, has a, you know, is kind of fraught with metabolic waste, you might think that a fair amount of the cell has metabolic waste. So just as a um, kind of an example, think about the garage that's 75% full. So if the garage is 75% full, and we're not really going to change our nutrition or, or perhaps our exposure to environmental toxins, but maybe just decrease them, 
Um, so not eliminate them, but just decrease them. So it would be the equivalent of portion control. So we're going to decrease the portion of meat, decrease the portion of you know, junk food, decrease those portions, and um, so that maybe um, you would be burning a little bit more energy, but you're still putting some metabolic waste in that garage that's almost full, but to a slower amount. So the key is how much can you put in and how much room do you have left? Nobody knows, right? So that's why when people say they were doing so good, I can't believe it. They, they seem so good. And then blank happened until, you know, I felt so good. And then blank happened. Um, and, and that's somewhat of a result of it was just the time that, you know, everything kind of came together and fell apart, so to speak. So if you're going to reverse something, you're, you really need to be pulling things out as opposed to continuing to put things in. And so if you decide what to put in, that's where the animal problem, the animal product becomes a problem because you're putting things in with more metabolic waste than if you were eating plant foods. On the other hand, if you're putting more plant foods in and you eliminate the animal products, now you're doing some things to actually clean out the garage. Uh, you're stopping blood vessels, you're stopping growth factors to the garage. So things start to, uh, you know, the uh, metabolic waste tends to crumble up and start to go into dust, so to speak. So the more good things you put in um, may decrease what's in the garage, but it also allows your own body to clear out things. I'm a firm believer that if you give a body time, uh, it'll, it will heal just, just fine. Um, but we don't often give ourselves time to heal. We keep adding insult to injury, so to speak. I wish there was a way that people could become more mindful before all the diseases started to manifest. Um, when you see people, you know, um, eating a variety of different toxins, but they don't feel bad yet, it's very hard to convince them that um, disease um, is somewhat uh, right around the corner. Everybody has an example of so-and-so that ate this and didn't have any problems, or so-and-so just ate a little bit and did just fine. Um, we're all individual, and we don't know what our cellular, our metabolic waste is for the most part. So, and we don't know other environmental toxins that we just kind of wander through during the day um, that we, we're not even aware we're exposed to. So uh, it comes back to doing what you can as best as you can and being mindful about what you're actually consuming and mindful about what you're actually doing. Are you doing enough exercise? Um, are you doing too much? Is it more is it well-rounded enough? Are you doing strength training uh, to build muscle and bone, but not too much that you limit the capillary flow? Um, I do have a funny story about that. I, again, uh, as I started this podcast, talking about Eric Orton and some of his drills that I've been trying to do, and one of them um, involves hopping uh, on one foot down a track. I've alluded in the past, Katie Bowman talks about it, one thing that older people, adults, don't typically do is jump. Uh, maybe if you go to the gym and you do box jumps, certain people do that, but, and some people jump rope, but I would say the vast majority of people over the age of 50 don't do a whole lot of jumping, um, myself included. 
So a little bit here and there, but you know, I go through spells of jump rope, but again, nothing on a regular basis. So I decided to try this hopping on one foot, um, you know, the length of my driveway, so to speak, and quickly realized that it was a lot of effort and I wasn't very good at it. I was better hopping on my left foot than my right foot, but it was certainly not impressive. And it's like, geez, you know, I, I think I have a fair amount of muscle. I just ran 250-mile races, and yet I can't hop on one foot very well. Um, and running is basically hopping from one foot to the other. So how bad am I? Uh, so I, I better practice this technique. Well, interestingly, when we talked about muscle fibers, hopping is more of an explosive type activity, and hopping is type 2 muscle fibers, which are... Um, what you would get with weightlifting, uh, explosive type activities, sprinting, you know, explosive uh, sports, which I don't do. So tennis players would have more explosive uh, type two fibers than endurance runners. Um, of course, the more you do one sport, um, the worse it is. So you know, by really transitioning to, for the most part, running. Um, I've selected for more type 1 fibers and less type 2 fibers. And whether they're dormant or they're, they're gone um, is hard to tell. But I don't think they're gone. I think they're more dormant because the more I practice, the better I get at the hopping on one foot. But again, um, doing all of one thing uh, tends to make us out of balance. I've had more injuries since I haven't been doing triathlon than when I was doing triathlon. I have to pay more attention to stretching and mobilizing areas that are not my running muscles. So one-sided sport activities can, again, lead us to a disease-type state. So we need a variety of endurance as well as uh, explosive-type activities to kind of keep things balanced a little bit more. Um, and then add that into nutrition and being mindful of that. So that journey can be a variety of different ways. Um, most of us weren't raised plant-based, so it's going to be an evolution of sorts. And um, if you're you know, highly meat-based and dairy-based, then that transition is going to be a little slower than somebody that was a vegetable lover. Um, you know, there probably are people that are more driven uh, and satisfied by some meat in their diet, um, but they well overdo that, just like I well overdo uh, running because I like that the best. So I think where some people might be able to get by with a little bit, nobody can get by with a lot. Um, if people hate vegetables, then that needs to be introduced as well as backing down their metabolic waste from their animal products. So it's something that requires mindfulness um, and attention to detail. If you're not going to, if you're going to eat eggs, are you going to eat eggs that are in pastries? Or, um, or are you going to eat eggs only that you fry and you actually see the eggs? I think that that needs to be addressed. Um, if you're weaning off of eggs, it may be such that you only eat eggs that you can see the eggs in. Um, it's a way to go. Uh, if you don't, if you're not plant-based at all, uh, then adding, you know, a couple meals a day um, gradually that are more plant-centric. 
perhaps meatless Monday or a day that you don't have meat, but that may be a while for some people to, to make that transition. People that love vegetables, it's, it's, not, it's not hard at all. Um, you know, it's a matter of just weaning out the other things and upping the vegetables. So depends on where you are is how the progress is made, and we all make it a little differently. It's just a matter of being more mindful um, of it and allowing people to make their own decisions. Um, I wish that, you know, we could, again, get to a lot of people that said, you know, hey, we can avoid um, some of the problems that you're going to face down the road. Uh, and your body can heal a lot quicker if you were to do this, but we all have free choice and free will to make those decisions. And for some reason, the human um, humans like to, you know, do things their way, the hard way, and by experience. We learn more from, you know, our failures than our successes sometimes. So um, it's not easy. So be patient with people around you. Uh, don't try to force your philosophy on other people. But, you know, taking care of your own plate can be a full-time job. If you'd like to find out more about how we can help you do that, you can um, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com, and find out how you can join our practice. We have online uh, memberships available as well as full membership available so that uh, you can um, you know, learn some of these techniques and tricks of the trade, so to speak. We have a full-time registered dietitian. Um, I believe that our practice is very unique in that we are oriented both to movement and nutrition. They're not exclusive of each other. Um, and I think we have a handle on both of them uh, pretty good. So uh, if you have any questions, you can email me at jamie, J-A-M-I, at drdelaney.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks always for listening and uh, check in with you next week. Mm -hmm.